Welcome to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a podcast series by Digital Collective Co, where we soak up wisdom, anecdotes, and actionable tips from Australian startups, female founders, business leaders, industry pioneers, and C-suite executives, a sway of people who have achieved amazing things in their professional fields. My name is Mia McLeod, and I'm the founder of Digital Collective Co. We are a collective of digital experts who have come together during a time of adversity, all aligned in the mission of finding a better way of working while simultaneously improving the balance in our lives. Hi, I'm Veronica May, otherwise known as Ronnie. That's what everyone likes to call me. I work in the market research industry and I'm the managing director and co-owner of Faster Horses and also an investor in an app called UBDI, otherwise known as the Universal Basic Data Income. So today I'm going to be talking to Kat from Digital Collective about my career in research, my business and my passion for empowering women who want to reach the top of their field. Today I'm speaking with a very inspiring and hardworking woman I met thanks to the power of LinkedIn. Based in Perth, Australia, but hailing from Cape Town, South Africa, Veronica Main is the co-owner of Faster Horses, a highly successful market research consultancy working across sectors like agriculture, aged care, health, and the energy industry. She's also an investor in the groundbreaking new app, Ubdi, and she's a huge advocate and support for women who want to break into high-level positions in business. On top of the successful career she's built for herself as a woman in research, Veronica is also a mum to three lovely kids. It's safe to say she's a powerhouse who has worked tirelessly to get where she is today. And the result, a fruitful career, a thriving business, and a beautiful family. We hope you enjoy this moment with Veronica. Hello, Ronnie. Thank you so much for joining us today on your episode of A Moment with Modern Mentors. I've introduced you very formally as Veronica in the pre-recorded intro, so I should tell everyone that you like to go by Ronnie. I can't wait to delve into your story and hear about your career and how you've ended up where you are today as a business owner, as an investor, and being where you are in your field of market research. So to start off, we should talk about Faster Horses because that's what I believe you spend most of your time doing, your market research business, um, which I believe you started in 2014. So do you want to start off by telling us what the business does and the role that you play in its success? Yeah, so Faster Horses is an insights consultancy. So we tap into views in the marketplace, really, very simply. So we act as the voice of the consumer uh, for our clients. So whatever they want to know about any of their audiences, we uncover what we call the human truths that can guide their direction. So it's, it's anything. It's very, very wide ranging in terms of what our clients could ask us. But it would be things like answering questions like, how's our brand doing in relation to our competitors? Any kind of business problem they have? Any kind of business problem. Primarily marketing, but not only marketing. So we do, you know, corporate reputation type of work. So if a company has had a corporate reputation blip or if they've been in the news, we might find out how did people in the marketplace feel about that and how long is the recovery going to take place? Things like how do people view our experience after we've interacted with them? What kind of methods do you use to uncover those very broad-ranging, wide-reaching questions? So we are very experienced in two types of research. One is quantitative, where we go to big sample sizes and we do things like online surveys or if audiences are really hard to get hold of, then we might do phone surveys. 
We also do qualitative research and qualitative research is very broad ranging. So we might get a bunch of people into a room and run a focus group. We might do one-on-one research where we nowadays are doing Zoom interviews primarily, but we do do face-to-face as well. And here in Western Australia, we are able to do the face-to-face interviews. The one type of research that I like most is ethnographic research, where we actually go into people's homes. Interesting. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about like the main sectors that your clients are from and what you love about those industries? So the main sectors that I work on are the energy industry. I really like it because it's fast paced. Um, There's always something happening. And I really like the direction that it's taking nowadays with renewable energy. I like the way the organizations in that industry are evolving to meet the demands of consumers. So we're finding that consumers are much greener these days and much more interested in sustainability. And that aligns with my values and my views. And so I I find it very interesting to be part of that journey with my clients. Amazing. So we help them with their brand development, all the products that they're launching and try and make sure that they hone in on what consumers need. Is there any fun projects you're working on at the moment that you can tell us about or is it all top secret? (laughs) It's just funny because a lot of the things that we work on are top secret and the reason they're top secret is because they're the very beginning of a stage that organizations go through. So when whenever people want research, it's because they want to know um, how people feel about something that they, they're just thinking about or about an innovation that they don't want their competitors to know about or a new product that is just about to be launched into the marketplace. But we do do quite a bit of work for government as well. So it's not all commercial um, organisations. And um, one of the things that I could tell you about is our work in the aged care industry. So we launched a, a report actually called the Inside Aged Care Report. And this report taps into sentiment in the market around the aged care industry. And you would know that that's very much in the news at the moment. Absolutely. We ran our first report two years ago, which was just before the Royal Commission. And then we ran the next report, which was pretty much in the middle of the Royal Commission. And we've just had our data come out of our third report, which has been right in the middle of COVID. And the aged care industry has been very much in the news in the last three years over the course of the Royal Commission and now over the course of COVID for obvious reasons. And we've measured really critical aspects of performance in the aged care industry, such as levels of trust, what people think of the quality of care being delivered in the industry. And we also map things like the demand curve for different types of care. So whether it's residential living, whether it's in-home care, or whether it's lifestyle villages and retirement villages, Mm. which really, really helps our clients work out where they need to put their resources and their focus. Yeah. So the client in that case would be like an aged care facility, a company that owns aged care facilities. That's exactly right. That's good. I feel like as a consumer, that work is so important just from what's being said about that industry. And obviously a lot of focus needs to be put on fixing that. (laughs) Yeah. And actually just to sort of loop into what I was saying about my favorite types of research, I mentioned that I really like ethnographic research where we go into people's homes. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed 
about working in the aged care industry is going into the homes of our elderly population and spending time with them. And they love they love talking about their lives. They have such interesting lives. Of course. I mean, you would by that age, you'd have so much experience to chat about. And what, what I find is amazing is they never think of themselves as old. Yeah, wow. You know, it's only the younger generation that think of the older generation as old. For the individual, they are themselves. They have their, the same mind. And that's, what, that's what's wonderful. Like when you talk to them, there's so much... There's so much they can tell you about the things that they've done, their history, where they've lived, where they've travelled, and you can learn so much from them. And I I just think that we don't um, respect that enough as Mm. a society and as a culture, and I think we should more. Totally. I can see you're super passionate about that, which is amazing. You want to do stuff you're passionate about. So can you tell us a little bit about why you started Faster Horses? Because I know you have your business partner, Peter, and what made you guys want to go out on your own? Was there a niche in the market that you could see needed to be filled or what was your motivator? Yeah, so I think um, we'd both reached the stage in our career where we wanted to do something new and different. And talking to our clients, we realized that what they were looking for was a higher level of consultation. So one of the things that we pride ourselves in at Faster Horses is being able to, you know, bring senior people in and sit down with our clients and take that really true partnership approach where Mm. you take the whole of the business into consideration. You know everything about that business. You know about the industry. You know what's happening in the market. And you pull that broader uh, view into your research results. Mm -hmm. So you're not just delivering a report full of bar charts and findings, but what you're delivering is real insights that can help them and strategic direction. And so we thought that there was a big gap in the market. And judging by the way Faster Horses has grown, I would say we were right. Yes. This is our real point of difference, that consultancy model as opposed to the research report model and we we really pride ourselves in that and we have very close relationships with our clients whatever industry it's in so yeah when I've mentioned energy the energy industry and the aged care industry we also work in property development we work in FNCG healthcare building and manufacturing huge you know finance That's awesome. Such interesting work that you guys do. Have you found a lot of businesses while they're trying to pivot in the new world and the new market that they find themselves in due to coronavirus? Are they reaching out to you? Has business boomed in this environment for you? Yes, we've been very busy. We had a small dip in our revenue in April when everybody sort of got a huge shock in terms of what was happening in the market, but Mm -hmm. it picked up in May and has continued to pick up since then. So I think our clients are looking for direction and they're struggling and they need, they need that voice of the customer and they need in the minute on the money research and insight. So they don't want just findings. They want somebody who has the experience to be able to go, this is what people are saying Mm -hmm. and you need to do this. And this is why you need to do this because we know this, 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 and this. It's kind of bringing in a much broader view and being able to give true advice to our clients. And and we're finding that that is invaluable to them in helping them with the next stages of their development. Yeah, totally. I can't imagine a time in the business environment that 
you know, solid research could be more important to anyone. So that makes, that makes sense. Okay. So I did have a question here that says, what's your favorite project you've worked on while at Faster Horses? Is there anything on top of the aged care stuff you can tell us about, or is that about it? (laughs) No, no, no. Oh, there's lots. So actually, when I think about my favorite project, it was probably, and this is crazy, but we won a client in Kazakhstan. Oh, wow. It was an FMCG client. So fast moving consumer goods. It was a product that you can buy off the shelf, but um, also available in, you know, 7-Eleven type of places. It was in the very early days of faster horses. And we had a contact who had moved to Kazakhstan of all places. So off we went to understand the market over there. Oh, wow. It was great and such an interesting culture because it really is the confluence between the end of Asia and then heading into into Europe. It was actually much more cosmopolitan than I would have imagined. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. The places you go to get the results you need. I would love to know more about the values behind Faster Horses. You briefly touched on your passion for the environment and sustainability, but what else is behind the brand that you can tell us about? Well, I think one thing that makes us different is the fact that we have respect for our participants. So the people that undertake research, who complete the online surveys and who come to focus groups, who agree to being interviewed and and particularly agree to letting us come into their homes and open their cupboards and look at what's in their cupboards and their fridges and share their lives with us, that's their time. And um, at Faster Horses, we really value that time. And we respect their opinions because that's what gives the depth of insights. And I think this is not consistent in the industry. Mm. And in particular, what we're seeing in the market research industry is really long surveys, you know, 20 or 30 minutes long. And I think if anybody's listening to this, they will be thinking, would I like to do a survey that's 20 or 30 minutes long? Exactly. For free? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Yeah. So... You know, usually it's a promise of a prize draw or sometimes it's 17 cents or 20 cents. And I think people value their own time a little bit more than that. And unfortunately, the result of that is that people do then tend to skip questions or they cheat or really they're not cheating on purpose, but they're really just trying to get through it as quickly as possible. And Mm. if we've designed a question poorly Mm. and it's long-winded and it's very research-speak, and boring, then people don't respond appropriately or properly. And that leads to poor insights. We really respect our participants' time and believe very strongly in paying them appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. And that insight, those insights are obviously so valuable if they then go on to make companies, you know, millions of dollars. So it makes sense. You can pay them like $50 an hour or whatever it is to help that process, which actually is a really good segue into my next question about the new app that you've invested in, UBD, which stands for Universal Basic Data Income. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that fits with the philosophy that you've just been speaking about, about paying people for their opinions, insights and data, I guess, as consumers to help companies make money? Yeah, so OD is a data monetization app. So I don't know if you've seen all the press around data and Google, Facebook, taking 
taking people's data and using it as as they want to. Mm -hmm, Definitely have, yes. So basically what happens is those organizations have a lot of data. So every time you touch the keyboard or any time you use your phone, you're generating data for them that they can sell to advertisers and then they make a lot of money uh, off your data and off your behavior and of what you're doing online and what you're searching for and where you went and so on and so forth. So Oopti is a data monetization app, and what it does is it pays you for your data. So it recognizes that you, as an individual, deserve the value of your data. So in the same way as you deserve to be paid for your opinion when you're doing traditional surveys, so you deserve to be paid for your data. It's out there, and it shouldn't be just generating profit for individual companies and large monopolistic companies. It Mm -hmm. should be generating profit for you as an individual, Mm -hmm. and you should be able to to sell it. And what Ubdi does is it's created a new data marketplace. So you can go into Ubdi, and then you can link various bits of data that you're prepared to share. So it might be your social media data. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it might be your fitness data. So we've recently linked Strava, but you can also link Garmin, Fitbit, Google Fit, Apple Health. Mm -hmm. Imagine all this data in one place. There's also data that you can link around your cryptocurrency purchases. So Mm -hmm. it's linked to Coinbase and you can link your financial transactions as well. Yeah, wow. In addition to that, there are other aspects of your life that you can link. So your Netflix viewership data, your Amazon purchases data. You can participate in surveys, right? Like more traditional market research methods as well. That's exactly right. So what Ubdi does is it blends surveys with data. Mm -hmm. So it acknowledges that each person has this ecosystem of behavior that's Mm -hmm. reflected in that data. And it blends that with a survey. So imagine you're Diabetes Australia. And imagine you would like to know and understand the relationship between what people are actually doing versus what they say they're doing. And imagine that you could build health policies around that to reduce diabetes and to improve people's lives. Yeah, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Like what you could do is you could set up a survey and ask people how they're managing their diabetes and you could ask them all those rational questions that is self-reported behavior. And then you can look at their data and you, you can look and see how much exercise they're doing, how far they travel from home, how much Netflix they're watching. In other words, how sedentary are they? Mm-hmm. You can look at what they're purchasing, how often they get takeaway, the sorts of places that they're buying their food from. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you've got a much richer data set in terms of how people are actually behaving yeah. versus what they say they're doing. So it's the truth. Because I guess even as yourself, you would be a little bit biased when telling people how much exercise you do and stuff like that, I I know I probably would be. So that's, yeah, that's (laughs) so powerful. But I guess for anyone who gets scared or gun shy of the thought of linking all of their data sources to this one app, can you explain how or if the app is anonymous or protected by Ubdi? Yeah, so when you download Ubdi, you're not assigned, it's not assigned to your individual name and at your address you're given a unique ID. Mm -hmm. So that unique ID carries all your characteristics as well. So when you go in, you set up your traits 
and you'll put in all of your demographics. So it's forming a profile of you, but it's merely a profile. It's not it's not your name. So it's not linked back to you. Right. It's not Catherine Rolly does two thousand steps a day and she lives here. It's it's just someone around this age somewhere does these things. <laughs> That's exactly right. So you become, uh, you know, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, um, instead of Catherine Rolly. And it's not a passive data collection tool either. So every time there's a request for data, you need to agree to share that data. So there might be a survey. So go back to the same example that I used. So say it's Diabetes Australia mm-hmm. um, and they want to do a survey. The survey will appear on on your app under the Earn tab and you click on it and it would tell you very clearly what the survey is about and what data sources they would like to access. Mm -hmm. If you're prepared to share those data sources, then you swipe and that is your agreement to share that data. Mm -hmm. But it is the data for a moment in time. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we can also get longitudinal data if we request it. And when we request it, people need to agree to share that data. So it's not passively collecting it. It can collect it, but it's not doing so passively. Got you. You have to give permission, unlike Google and Facebook and all of those big tech companies that are just passively collecting every move you make online. (laughs) Exactly. So each transaction is actively permission-based. So nobody's stealing your data. In fact, you're getting a chance to participate in the data economy and earn yourself some money over the course of time for your data that's out there anyway. And so how does the payment work? So there's a payment mechanism in the app. On the Earn tab, it'll tell you how much you earned. So as soon as you've completed your survey, which by the way, the surveys usually pay $2 per survey. So you literally swipe. It's usually a maximum of 10 questions and they're simple questions and they're phrased in a really colloquial sort of fun way. Mm -hmm. So it's much more like people usually speak as opposed to your typical research speak. So they're quite engaging. It's a lot of fun to do the surveys. So... Back to the payment, like once you've finished doing your survey and you've swiped to make sure that your data can be shared, mm-hmm. $2 or whatever the incentive was for that particular survey will land in your account. And not only that, you'll get UBDI points as well. And those UBDI points will be able to be redeemed in cryptocurrency at a point in time. That's not that's in development at the moment, so it's not quite there, but it will Ooh. be there. In, in the course of time. Awesome. Um, and then, so you get the cash reward and then you get the long-term points reward as well. Cool. Um, and then you just redeem it. You can go, you know, cash, take your cash out, you link your bank account details and it's a direct transfer into your bank account. Okay. Piece of cake. I've done it and I've already earned, I think it was about 70 Aussie dollars. Amazing. So it's quite good. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm not going to say no to that. And so obviously if the app isn't collecting data passively, there must be like a encrypted, it's all encrypted in there somehow so that it can't just automatically access it. And especially like with finance records and stuff, is that the case? Is there an encryption around it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's encrypted to military grade and the app, it it never leaves, it, it is never taken out of your device so it's stored on device so you set up your own 
individual account. It, it could be a Dropbox account. So I've got a Dropbox account or mm-hmm. it could be OneDrive. Right. You get an option of where you want to store your data. So that is your own individual data storage vault. Right. So it's not actually stored on an UBDI server. No. So all that happens, so you have your own storage device that is encrypted. So when your data goes in, it's encrypted. And when it comes out, it's encrypted. So basically what happens is when we need a piece of data, we're making a request to go into your vault and take the piece of data that we need and then take it out, use it for market research purposes, anonymized. So it's completely safe, completely secure and it doesn't link to you individually. Mm, Amazing. That's such a like progressive product. I guess, you know, the digital revolution happened so fast and these tech companies just popped up and it does feel like, well, if they're making all this money and it's coming from everything we're doing online and those insights, then the consumer does deserve a little bit of that. So absolutely, that's awesome. I'm excited to see where that goes. We love the fact that it's egalitarian. Like it's, mm. it's giving the power back to the consumer. Totally. It's basically saying that, you know, you, need, you deserve a piece of this action. Um, yeah. And it gives people, particularly in this COVID time when so many people are unemployed, it gives people an opportunity to earn money from data that's out there anyway. Mm. So it's not called a universal basic data income for nothing. Exactly. It is the opportunity, it gives people the opportunity to earn hundreds, if not thousands of extra dollars a year. Amazing. I would like to switch it up a little bit and see if you can tell us a little bit about your life before Faster Horses and before Ubdi and maybe how you got your start in research. Because obviously I know you're from South Africa, so can you give us a little bit of background about how you got your start? I spent quite a few years after uni travelling just around the world, spent a long time in London uh, and the rest of Europe and also then across America and South America, in fact, uh, backpacking back in my in my 20s. It was oh, wonderful. So good. Actually, those were the days when nobody was going to South America. The Inca Trail was oh, wow. completely unpopulated. There was sort of five of us walking it. And when we got to the other side, it was, it was quiet and oh my peaceful. Gosh. And now there's tourists crawling all over it. I know. I was very <laughs> lucky to have gone then. I arrived back in South Africa after all these years of traveling and thought, well, I'd better get a job. And one of my best friends who I traveled around Europe with was working for a market research company. So she was kind enough to um, put me in touch with the managing director who gave me a job. And I actually remember, I remember him saying, um, like I was horrified at my starting salary. Why? Because it was high or low? (laughs) Because it was very low. (laughs) And I said to him, but I have a degree. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, you know nothing. You know nothing. Yeah. And how right he was. I knew nothing at the time. And I then started my very steep learning curve through the market research industry, learning about, you know, all the different industries and all the different ways to tap into people respectfully and all the skills that I have now, but that's what got me into it. So I think market research is not necessarily the type of industry that you decide purposely to go into, but you fall into it in some way. And then I think this contact with the human truth is something that's quite addictive. And it's certainly something I've fallen in love with. 
Yeah. Cause actually like I have a marketing degree and that's something that drew me to marketing is that like psychological element to it and learning about how people operate and why they do the things they do. So I can see how it would be an extremely fulfilling career. It is great. So you grew up in South Africa, right? Like, were you born there? I was. I grew up in South Africa and I left when I was 21 to go traveling. And then I only went back in my mid-20s for uh, a couple of years where I had my formative experiences in the market research industry, yes. Yeah, and then you fell in love with Australia, I guess. So I fell in love with Australia and I moved here in 1995. And so I've been here for longer than I was in South Africa. But it is true to say that I still support the Springbok rugby team. (laughs) Shamefully, I'm not a sports person, so I don't know much about that. But (laughs) I love that you're loyal to your to your roots. (laughs) Yes, uh, it's just the the one thing that I can't uh, can't quite seem to let go of. (laughs) (laughs) So did living in South Africa in your formative years, do you think that culture had much of an impact on who you are today? Is it much different to the Australian culture you live in now? I'm sure it had an impact. We grew up in in sort of tough times where we we were trying to um, motivate for significant change in the country. And so, you know, I was at uni during the years when there was a massive rejection of the political regime in place. And so we participated in the debate at the time. And I think that certainly has had an impact on me. They were not times when everybody lived an equal life and Mm. everybody had access to the lifestyle that we all enjoy in Australia just as a matter of course. And I Mm. think we fought for that change. And I think that builds a toughness And I'm sure you'd see this in other South Africans if you know other South Africans. Yes, I do. They all have an insanely good work ethic. Well, from the ones that I know, not generalizing, but I have noticed that. That's right. It's so it, it builds a very good work ethic. And it also, I think, creativity and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's never an opportunity to go, Oh, I don't want to do that. That's too hard in South Africa. Nobody says that from a cultural point of view. People always go, oh, that looks challenging. Let's do it. That's exactly right. Let's do it. Let's do it, which is my motto, actually. I I have always lived by that motto and I have a very positive attitude towards life. I would definitely describe myself as not glass half full. I'd be glass, you know, 90% full for sure. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I can I can see that you're an extremely, like you have a go-getter personality for sure. So it's interesting to know that background and how that experience growing up shaped you. I would love to talk to you a little bit about women in business because I know you're a big advocate for women stepping up and stepping into their power and taking on like leadership positions and getting to the top of their fields. So what advice do you have for women who are trying to achieve that and also maybe balance family life and having it all? Yeah, I think, you know, it's not, I'm not saying it's easy at at all. I mean, I've got three kids and it was always tough balancing work and, and the kids and giving my best to all of it. I definitely uh, tried my best to achieve that and make sure I wasn't compromising in any way. And I guess that meant that I worked really hard. Mm. So that hard work ethic that came from 
you know, my South African days definitely kicked in. But I want I always wanted to do my best for my kids and be there for them. But I also wanted to give my best of my work. And unfortunately that means that there's not always No, not much sleep and probably not much work-life balance, mm. really, if I'm honest about it. And I look back upon it now, I don't think I've ever really had work-life balance. But I think then I really threw myself into whatever I did with gusto and enthusiasm and just took the bull by the horns and, and worked hard. The advice I would give to women just sort of getting their leg up into into business now is you have to be bold and you have to trust yourself Mm. and don't hold back. You have to believe in what you're doing and take that step forward Mm. and also be yourself. You know, often there's this dialogue around if a woman's really strong in business, then she's called a bitch. Well, I actually don't believe in that at all. I think you've got to be yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think the culture around some of that dialogue will change over the course of time. Yeah. I think it's already changing. I think now there's much more respect for strong women and I think those sort of terms are less bandied about than they they used to be um, back Mm -hmm. when I first started out. So I think for people entering the business world now, women entering the business world now, it won't be quite as bad. Mm. But you've got to be yourself because you can't be true to yourself if you're not being yourself. So you've got to have your personality and you've got to bring that to the table. So whether, you know, you have a soft demeanor and you work very closely and collaboratively with people Mm -hmm. or whether, you know, whether you're, you know, you work better in teams or whether you work better in isolation, whether you're somebody who really likes to stand up in front of people or whether you don't, Mm. you have to be yourself at all times, like irrespective of what your job brings you. Yeah. Staying true to your own character and yourself is really critically important. That is amazing advice. Thank you for sharing. I'm interested to know as well, like have you noticed that shift you were talking about with strong women not being as like, I guess, pushed back against? Have you noticed that shift yourself personally? Yeah, I have. I think uh, I think the workforce is just getting a little bit more accepting that you know there, there are so many amazing women in in Absolutely. business now. You know, one thing I think that women bring to the table is that they are um, humble. I mm. I think yes. humbler and more caring. And not that men are not that. In fact, I absolutely believe that the workforce needs both Mm -hmm. of course Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important that both men and women work together collaboratively and if you've got men and women working together collaboratively that's the best outcome that you could possibly get like my business partner and I Peter and I we have a great working relationship like I bring something different to the table than he brings Mm -hmm. and he communicates in different ways he thinks in different ways Mm -hmm. but I think together we're a good match because you know, I might bring that sort of softer side uh, to decision-making. Yes. But he might bring the, the more decisiveness to yes. decision-making. So I love that. I really like that balance. Yeah, mm. and that's such a good, like, case study or application of the school of thought or theory that, like, you need to have women at the table, you need to have lots of different cultural backgrounds at the table, you need to have men at the table, like in order to achieve the best or get to the best decision for business, you need to have all these different voices. So that's so interesting to hear that that works and that's what we need. 
It really does. And in fact, I actually think that two leaders in a business are really good for the business because then it stops there being this, you know, autocratic culture coming through. Mm. And it's much more collaborative at that really high leadership level because Mm. your leaders are having to be collaborative. So they have to demonstrate collaboration to be able to keep the business on an even keel. So if that's already demonstrated, if it's already demonstrated at the top, obviously that's going to filter down. Absolutely. And I I really like the idea of two people running a business because you can then hold one another to account. Absolutely. I think there's nothing worse for a business than like one leader who's surrounded by yes people. Like that is never going to give good business outcomes. No, I completely agree. I would like to now change it up a little bit and ask a few questions beyond the context of your businesses and help listeners get to know you a little better. I'd like to know if there's a book you've ever read that has impacted your life profoundly. There is. And from a business perspective, it's one that I'm sure most of you would have heard of, actually. It's Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, who's the COO of Facebook. Mm -hmm. And even though Facebook is not my most popular brand at the moment, particularly (laughs) in light of Ugdi, I really liked what she wrote. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the way she talked about if you want to be involved and you want to be in there making decisions, you have to lean in mm-hmm. and you have to get yourself onto the boardroom table. Don't sit in the background. Really like the way she talked about the imposter syndrome because it made me realize really keenly that people at the top of their game do sometimes have, you know, a, a crisis of confidence at various points and that that's completely normal. And actually, this then rewinds back into why it's good to have two people in a business working together, because then you can support one another mm-hmm. and you can help one another get through any crisis of confidence. And of course, when you're running a business, you hit snags and challenges along the way and things are difficult, but you have to work through it. And I think that's what uh, reading that book taught me was that you can work through it. Mm-hmm. And having these crises is, is not the end of the world. Important. Like, yeah, it's not the end of the world. Totally. And whenever I have to bring up an issue or like have a conflict, it's always so scary, but it's like, it doesn't need to be scary. You can just like attack it from a factual point of view and just like lay it down and problem solve. Like it doesn't need to be such a like big deal. That's right. I mean, a disagreement or a conflict or a challenge is actually an opportunity to build a stronger relationship with the other person. Because if you can resolve it, then you've got something something extra. You've taken your relationship to the next point mm-hmm. if you can get through it. Um, and there is, it's, it is important to do that in the right way. I also read a lot of Brene Brown mm-hmm. and I really like the way she talks about vulnerable leadership and She's also taught me not to go into those kind of situations with preconceived notions, go in with a very open mind and an open heart and be prepared to discuss difficult things mm-hmm. and, and then be prepared to resolve them and be prepared to feel scared. Yeah, I love that. It's like, yeah, just because you feel scared doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. <laughs> no. I've read her books actually. And one of the things she says that being brave isn't not feeling fear. It's actually fearing fear and just doing it anyway. That's quite right. That's exactly right. (laughs) I agree. So my next question for you is which of your habits, if any, do you credit for most improving your life in recent years? 
So I think in recent times, not so much recent years, but maybe over COVID, because COVID has been a challenging period uh, for all of us. Absolutely. And, you know, lots of time at home, which hasn't been terrible, I don't think. I mean, I think we've been quite lucky in Western Australia. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think is important is a good exercise um, program. Um, and, of course, I go off the exercise program and come back onto it and eat the chocolate. and we all do, you know, yes. <laughs> kind of stuff, as everybody does. Everyone has lapses and we're all human. But yeah. I did find over April and May in particular when we sort of just hit that COVID time that going out for a run uh, is just such a lovely thing to do. And even if it's hard, it's, again, it's one of those hard things that if you get through it, then you will feel so much better and you will have improved yourself in some way. And I'm very lucky here because I live in Scarborough, which is right near the coast. And in this office, every night when the sun goes down, I can see the sunset. And so if if that's my cue, then I get my exercise gear on and go for a run down at the coast and then you can run all the way up the coastline and watch the sunset while you're running. And it's, it's, it's lovely. It's very, um, it's very good for the mind. Absolutely. Um, so I think even if it's for each individual person, it might not be running, it might be yoga or it might be just a walk or it might be a catch up with friends. But I think you do need to keep your mind healthy and in a positive zone. And I do all I can uh, to do that. Amazing. That's good that you found that motivation and discipline to create that habit. That's something I've wanted to create is a running habit and I haven't managed to do it yet. (laughs) I fall off it every now and then. Don't worry. I'm completely human. (laughs) No, but that sounds amazing. If you had that beautiful like run along the beach, that would be very motivating. So another thing I love to hear from people who've had success in their career is when you feel unmotivated or a little bit overwhelmed, is there anything in particular you do to try and push yourself through that? I think that's where the positive mind comes in and the glass 75% full. So that if you feel demotivated, you're actually dropping from 75% to maybe 70 or 60 and you're not dropping below the 50% mark. Yes, I've had failure and I do lots of self-reflection about those events and what's caused them, what I could have done differently. So I think that's important is self-reflection and, you know, post-analysis of a situation Mm -hmm. and thinking about how you can change it, mix it up, what you could have done differently to have changed that particular outcome. But I do like to think that every failure is an opportunity to improve yourself. And I think if you're not failing in life, then you're not pushing yourself hard enough into challenges. Yeah. I have a old business colleague and she used to say, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing any work. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. It's what I say to my kids, um, you know, when they don't do well in something, of course, they've got to learn how they're going to do everything perfectly. Exactly. When you're young, how are you going to do everything perfectly? Even if you're not young, you know, I'm 54 and I have still got a lot to learn and I still learn every single day. So you've got to have an open mind and, and have that learning 
sort of culture in your in your head and be mm. open to the fact that you're not doing everything right. I mean, it's just arrogance if you if you think you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can think that you're you're good at stuff and you can well be good at stuff, but there's always an opportunity to improve. Absolutely. So I think yeah, I think failures should be used as that opportunity to improve. And and demotivation is it, you've just got to bring your mind back and push yourself through and see it as an opportunity to get further. Yeah. Um, well, I'd love to know what success means to you personally. I think I like building things so uh, and sustainability. So for me, success at Faster Horses and at Ugdi would be to be able to pass my craft and my skill set on to other people mm-hmm. so that it's sustainable, so that other people are learning in the industry and we can perpetuate the industry but we can keep improving on it. Mm. So I think it's about building something that's long-lasting is yeah. what success is about for me. Yeah, amazing. Can you tell me what is your earliest memory of achievement? Yes, I can. When I was a child, I and probably from when I was about 10 onwards, I was a springboard diver. Oh, wow. So, yes. <laughs> and I dived in Cape Town. So those are the days when there were no indoor pools and there certainly wasn't heating in the water, so it was freezing. Um, and we used to start our season in September. So it's basically around about now. So if you can imagine yourself diving in a pool that's not has no heat of water and it's blowing a howling gale outside. It was pretty tough conditions. Wow. We had a great team and we we had so much fun when we were diving and there was always um, um, learning new things and there was always a challenge and it was scary and we had to push ourselves through it. But my earliest memories of achievement and success would have been winning competitions and it was such a wonderful feeling. <laughs> I'm very competitive. <laughs> I'm very, very competitive. So it was great. I mean, I then had to learn also to deal with not winning. Losing. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's such a thing as losing. It's not winning, right? Oh, sorry, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I'm very very competitive. I can't shake that competitive spirit at all. Oh, I love that. There's nothing wrong with a healthy competitive side, I don't think. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, those, those were my earliest years and they were sweet indeed. I love that about you. I didn't know you were a diver. <laughs> Is there anything that you wish you knew? Some of my friends can play music and they can just play music off the cuff and they can just start playing a guitar and singing and I can't do that. So whenever there are those moments, I do sing, but I don't think I'm the best contributor to the, to the tune. I wish I could play music. It's not. Oh. Um, a string I have in my bow. <laughs> well, it's never too late to learn. No. <laughs> if you could give any advice to your younger self, what would it be? I think it's to appreciate who you are and live life in the moment and stop wishing you were anything other than what you are at that moment in time. Stop wishing you're older because you can always get older, but you can never get younger. Mm -hmm. So you just need to make sure that you can look at yourself and appreciate yourself and be positive about yourself because you'll look back in many years' time And you'll realize how wonderful you were at that time, even though you don't appreciate it. So, you know, I wish I had appreciated who I was back 
you know, in my, in my 20s more and had more confidence in myself and more belief in myself. Mm. Um, but I guess that's the kind of stuff that you, you learn about yourself over time. But yeah, you can't go back. So yeah. you may as well enjoy it while you're there. So for our final question today, I would love to know if you could speak to everyone in the world, what would you say? Mm, that's a hard one, actually. It is a bit. <laughs> if I could speak to everyone in the world... I think that I would talk to them about sustainability and egalitarianism. So I think I would talk to them about, it's about not wasting things, not wasting your life, not wasting your time, not wasting your food, not wasting resources, um, resources about conservation, mm-hmm. about respect Uh, for the environment and other people and about living a good life that considers the future generations to come. Mm. Amazing. And I think that that's what Ubdi, see, that's why we like Ubdi because Ubdi has that egalitarian bit. It gives everybody an opportunity. It sort of fights against the big organisations. Yeah. It takes a stance and a platform that's going, hey, that's not fair. That shouldn't be like that. You know, let's, let's do this differently. Let's change the way we're doing market research. Let's change the way we're seeing data. Let's attach a value to it and let's give it back to people. And it's sustainable as well. Exactly. Yeah, I can see how, which is amazing and something we should all strive for, that everything you kind of do is aligning with your core values, which is, that's what I think is success. So thank you so much for sharing with us today we've loved chatting to you been great Kat thank you very much for the time make sure you subscribe to our channel and stay tuned for more episodes from a moment with modern mentors coming your way soon